I never went to any church necessarily with the idea that, oh, I'm looking for a church to turn around. I'm looking for a turnaround opportunity. It wasn't like that. It was, I went to a church that I felt God called me to. You're listening to an ongoing discussion on life, leadership, and ministry. This is the Brian Sams Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Brian Sams Podcast. This is your host, Brian Sams. And uh, Aaron, here we are again. It is cold today. It's cold today. And when this 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 episode launches, it's even going to be probably colder. Because cold. I think we're now in 2022. So welcome to a brand new year, everybody. Yeah. And I'm excited to kick off the brand new year at the Brian Sams Podcast with a special guest and from our brand new sponsors. Your church's graphics and media should be excellent without being expensive. Church Media HQ is a membership that gives your church access to awesome graphics, videos, and more with pricing options that fit any budget. Right now, you can save 25% for up to 12 months on any Church Media HQ membership when you sign up using the promo code BRIAN. You can view sample graphics and learn more about what Church Media HQ can do for you at churchmediahq.com. And remember, you get 25% off any membership for up to a full year when you use the name Brian as the promo code. Get awesome graphics and more for your church at churchmediahq.com. That's churchmediahq.com. Man, Luke and his team, they're awesome. In fact, Aaron, uh, this coming Sunday, I'll be preaching my first sermon where he created the uh, title yeah, we'll, slide. We'll get to see a little bit of a sample. Uh, he did a good job. He yeah. gave me three options, and I got to pick my favorite one. And so, Luke, shout out to you. Thanks for sponsoring the podcast. And here we are in 2022. Man, I am excited about this season of podcast. And sometimes we're talking about controversy, and sometimes we're talking about fun. And today, I'm excited to introduce a topic to our audience that's very, very, very important to me and very, very important to our guest today. And so I want to welcome to the podcast Dr. Tommy Thompson. He is the senior pastor of the Ashburn Baptist Church in the Chicago area. Tommy, welcome to the Brian Sams Podcast. Good to be with you, Brian. Love you guys. Love your work there in Jacksonville. And I remember when you first went there, brother. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, you know, this is just great to have you on the show. And I, uh, uh, we've been friends for a long time, going back all the way to yep. where your girls, Hannah and Lexi, mm-hmm. were in high school. And mm-hmm. now, of course, they're married and, and off in life. But uh, our first meeting was at a youth rally in Ocala, and you yep. brought some kids up. You were in the Tampa area at the time. And, man, we just struck up a friendship. And then you came and stayed at my house for a few days in California. And Crashed, the re- yep. The rest is history. <laughs> the rest uh, is history. <laughs> so, I, man, uh that's exactly right. We we moved to Jacksonville, and you were already here. You'd been here for several years, and mm-hmm. uh, in fact, one, tell us just just introducing you to our audience. Tell us a little bit about your family, your girls, your wife, and just give us a little kind of overview of the different churches that you pastored, and uh, then we'll get into some of the revitalization stuff. Sure. Yeah. You know, know those that uh, know me uh, know that I was military actually for 12 years out of high school and had a really a budding, thriving military uh, career. And I had planned on staying in and retiring with 30 years. And then uh, God God called me to preach. God called me to ministry. And I got out in 2000 and went went right into pastoring and 
worked on my education on the fly and uh, pastored up until I came to Chicago a few years ago, pastored uh, in Florida and, and last almost 10 years in my uh, hometown of Tampa, Florida, and uh, uh, led a church revitalization there in the Brandon area, Grace Baptist. But uh, yeah, I've been married to my wife, uh, met her, my first duty station in Omaha, Nebraska, Vicki. We've been married uh, this uh, uh, next year, August will be 30 years. Hmm. And then uh, we have two amazing daughters. Alexis is our oldest who uh, uh, her, her and uh, Hannah both went to college together when you were out at West Coast. And uh, you you helped introduce them and help them make those decisions. But uh, Alexis now lives in uh, uh, Ohio and then uh, got married, of course, several years ago. And then uh, also Hannah, our youngest, now lives in the Fort Worth, Dallas area, married. Both of them married men that they met during their college years. And so uh, that's one great uh, part of that experience there. But uh, so, yeah, and then we were pastoring already when we met you in, in uh, at Grace Baptist in, in uh, Tampa, Florida. And then that's when you came to Jacksonville and we came up and uh, helped you. you. You were showing me different buildings and stuff you were trying to get into. And I was just looking at those pictures the... the other day of our first revival meeting. <laughs> I decided I decided to have a revival meeting in our first year about a month before the revival meeting was supposed to take place. And uh, you were you were there. You were one of the first people I had. You guys sang and preached, and then uh, Tim Butler was there, and Dean yeah. Miller. Dean Miller. I, I, so funny thing is, still to this day, one of the greatest takeaways from that revival experience was from Dean Miller, and who introduced me to Pop Chos, which is popcorn that you make and then you drizzle uh, cheddar cheese on it, put it in the uh, oven, and it's called Pop Chos. I still that's still one of my favorite snacks. Thank you, Dean Miller. <laughs> yeah, well, shout out to Dean if he's listening. And and I remember oh, setting goodness. out one night that late night Cheesecake Factory, probably till midnight. Yeah, Aaron, I remember. Aaron it. was there. Aaron was there, and so. Yeah. Uh, Aaron gets to jump on these adventures with us too. Oh, so. that's great! That's great. <laughs> yeah, that's your contribution to the podcast yeah. today. Yeah, yeah. That was great. Cheesecake. Yeah, Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Man, we didn't know what we were doing. Still don't know what we were doing. But that was an awesome meeting. <laughs> that was November. I'd only been here three months, and uh, we were off. There's a lot running. of water under the bridge since then, bro. Oh my <laughs> word! Yeah. Speaking of which, both of us have shared this in common that you at mm. least twice, me once have gone into churches that needed to be revitalized. Um, in addition to the fact of doing revitalization, you also did your doctoral work predominantly on the subject of revitalization. Wow. While I have not done that, I've spent my life thinking about it and doing it. And uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the two stories real quick. Just First of all, let's talk about Grace and Brandon and talk about what the church was like and the condition of the church and just walk us through what happened there. Yeah, well, um, I was, uh, after I got out of the military, I pastored a church plant in Sarasota, Florida for about five years. And then I was hired, I went from a pastor to an associate pastor in Tampa and uh, was there for about uh, five years when uh, the pastor at Grace at the time, a guy named Ruben Nance, a uh, wonderful, wonderful man, reached out and said that he was you know, ready to wrap up. He founded the church, pastored the church for 36 years, so he was the only uh, senior pastor they'd ever had. And yet the church had never really topped 100 and uh, uh, had been in decline for well over a decade 
Um, he'd gone through some difficulties about halfway through and, and just, it just took the steam out of his sails. And so, uh, he reached out and asked me to consider taking the church and moving it forward. And, um, and it was in tough shape. It was really in tough shape. Our first Sunday there, there was 14 people and that included my family of four, uh, at the time. So it was, it had dwindled down to just about nothing but a handful of people, most of which honestly was his family. And then of course, when I, when I ended up coming in and, and assuming leadership, um, most of them transitioned out, um, over the course of almost a year. So, um, it, it was a quintessential revival work. Um, I, back then I, I didn't understand church revitalization, kind of like you, when you went to Jacksonville, we were just kind of flying by the seat of our pants and trying to figure out how to lead this thing forward. But certainly back then, uh, I never heard the word church revitalization. Honestly, it was just, it was a kind of a new conversation and I was kind of ahead of that. So I was just like, okay, it's just a dead church that needs de- needs to be brought back to life. And it had all the challenges of a typical revitalization work. It had no finances, dilapidated buildings, a handful of people. And, um, you know, p- people ask a lot, what's the difference between a replant or a revitalization? And that's one of the things. It's, uh, the, the, you know, it's like the chicken or the egg. Uh what's better not having buildings or having buildings and no money to fix the things up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, it's a toss up in, in many ways, but, um, but that's where we were. And I didn't know any better. I didn't know how to gain support. I mean, even asking for support back in those days and a revitalization work would have been a taboo thing mm-hmm. to do to uh, even though it was in many ways, like a plant or replant, um, where a lot of guys going into situations like that these days could actually very much use financial support, but we just did it. I mean, we went, we jumped in uh, all in and up to our neck and, you know, a lot of the renovation work we did ourselves, a lot of the finances, we just struggled through that for years until the church began to grow. Um, so that was, that was grace uh, in 2009. Uh, when I went there. And then in 2017, Ashburn reached out to me and we weren't looking to leave Grace. We had, we had done the hard work, you know, uh, statistically year five to six to seven is kind of where you turn the corner and things begin to start getting a lot better and the traction is catching and movement. And, and so the growth comes. And so we were just get turning the corner with all that and seeing a great explosion of growth and, and uh, finances were growing. Everything was doing very well. And I thought, man, now's our time. Now's my season. We're really going to see growth. And then the phone call comes and says, would you consider coming to Chicago? I'd never thought about Chicago, but long story short, you know, cause we'll come back through some of the, some of the rest of this conversation, address some of those issues. But so, you know, we, we, God led us. That's all I can say. The short story is God led us here. We weren't looking, we weren't ready to leave Tampa. I was pastoring in my hometown. Uh, so, but God led us here. And even though the context was much different at Ashburn, as far as the size of the church and some other particulars, it still had all of the quintessential signs of needing revitalization, a decline in attendance, you know, uh, deferred maintenance on buildings and things like that, financial struggle. So, um, so now we've been here, uh, since 2000. Um, 19, January, 2019, I became the, the uh, new uh, senior pastor, uh, much different here. We have two campuses 
I've had a full staff changeover since then, and and it's been a full-on uh, church revitalization. Um, and so that's that's uh, and we're still in the middle of it. It's really in the beginning stages, mm-hmm. to be honest, uh, of church revitalization here. The one big thing I think is different from Grace to here at Ashburn is experience. Yeah. Now I know how to quantify. Now I know how to assess. Now I have the tools in my tool bag. I actually pursued my demon in church revitalization because Ashburn was such a unique uh, uh, venture. Uh, and I knew I needed to sharpen my skills even more. So I pursued that in my early first year of coming to Ashburn. I, I was wrapping up my MDiv. I rolled right into my demon work on church revitalization so that I could have more resources to lead this uh, church through church revitalization. Yeah, I think I think you bring out an interesting point that some people think of church revitalization as only a numerical issue or a building dilapidation issue. If you were to stroll yep. onto the campus of Ashburn, which I remember the first time I showed up there and I was like, oh my word, are you kidding me? I mean, the sprawling yeah. campus is beautiful. The buildings are amazing. But so a small attendance is not the only indicator that a church needs. Absolutely. And so I've, I've always, you know, two words that have always st- stuck out to me. One is dying or declining. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if a church has a thousand or 10. If a church mm-hmm. is in decline, it's moving the wrong direction. Yeah. Something needs to turn the ship around. And then, of course, the second one was would be if it's divided, um, the mm-hmm. church is uh, splintered over certain things. I know I had both at what was Harvest Baptist Church, you had a lot more of the second at at, um, at Ashburn. But those two things are critical. In both cases, if a church is in decline or dying or divided, something's going to have to give, something's going to have to change, script's going to have to get rewrote, or the place is going gonna, is gonna to close its doors. And sad to say that happens yeah. so, uh, so, so much. So uh, let's talk about this. So, so... You got two different things, but when I say uh, talk about the condition of the churches, um, you know, you, you mentioned buildings, you mentioned low numbers at, at Grace, but what about what about like the spirit or mindset of the people in both places? Like, what was? Did you find people that didn't want transformation? Did you find people that were were hungry for? It? What was the case when you went there? Yeah. So. Um, uh, when I came to Ashburn, uh, it was, you know, I didn't want to come. So I had already purposed when I came in for kind of the Q and A's and stuff when on the candidate, uh, weekend, that candidacy weekend that we came, I'd already purposed. I didn't want to come. So I was just going to give them, I was just going to speak very raw and real with them. And, and when I got here, you know, they asked a lot of the typical questions you would be asked in a pastoral process, but the questions they were asking me, I didn't know what their motive was, you know, but they were asking, how, how, how much are you going to change things? And uh, how much of this are you going to do? Or how, how can you lead us into the future and things like that? And most of the time when churches ask those kinds of questions, they're, they're asking it from the motive standpoint of we don't really want things to change. And even if they do, when you actually start changing things, then, <laughs> then they realize, oh, this is uncomfortable. But when I came to Ashburn specifically, um, the, the, the interview process with the congregation was very informative because uh, the reality was, you know, we talk about decline in attendance as a, as a, uh, a determining factor of whether a church is in need of revitalization or not. 
definitively, a church that has experienced a decline more than five years is by definition a church in need of revitalization, regardless of what that attendance is, as you said. Another one is the division. Um, but what I what I picked up on as a very strong indicator of a church of need of revitalization when I came was you talk about the spiritual side of it is what I would call a spiritual dysfunctional ism. Uh, and what I mean by that is not only the typical things of like a loss of mission, a loss of evangelism, loss of discipleship, um, but uh, just the presence of a, of a spiritual dysfunction. In other words, they, they didn't even they didn't even have a healthy understanding of what a follower of Jesus is I've because they were so they were so wrapped up in a man-made version of Christianity, which, you know, that's where your things like traditionalism, legalism, stuff like that really comes in. So they didn't even understand what a healthy disciple was or what that looked like or, or, or directionally how to to make disciples. So there was a lot of dysfunction there. There was also a lot of um, the church had gone through multiple splits. So there was a lot of dysfunction as far as how to relate to each other in the church, as far as Christian brotherhood, you know, and how to treat each other healthily. They, they, it was almost uh, like teams, you know, you're on this team or that team. And, and if you're not, then I treat you like the enemy rather than my brother or sister in Christ. So there was a lot of church splits, a lot of dysfunction and, and that played out in the Q and A's and um, uh, but we were multi-site. So the other campus had, had a, a feeling of being left behind both, both in the unity of the church as a whole, but also financially, there was no money being given to that ministry to really help it grow and flourish. It was just, it was, it was almost like they were being punished uh, over some re- uh, previous church splits and stuff like that. So there was a lot of, toxic, uh, dysfunctional uh, behavior at play in the church, none of which I was obviously aware of when I came. And so that that component alone became this, the single biggest challenge. I mean, I had all the other challenges of a decline in attendance, deferred maintenance on buildings, div- typical power broking and division in the church. But beyond that, there was a uh, the main component I've had to deal with at Ashburn has been the spiritual dysfunction where um, people just had lost hope. They, they didn't know that there was a better way. And honestly, the first two years has been just trying to help them open their eyes and see that there is in fact a better way. You can get along with each other. You can move forward on mission for the glory of God. So, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, on different levels for different reasons, I think um, with the dysfunction oftentimes comes some plaguing, even sin problem in leadership. And we don't, I'm not here to air out issues, but like at our church, it was publicly known that there was some moral issues in leadership. And I knew that. I knew that coming in. And, and my way of trying to deal with it before I came here was, y'all need to deal with that before I get here naively thinking, well, that's just going to deal with it. I mean, you know, they're going to be done. The issue's going to be over. Of course, that was a huge mistake because when there's a prevalent long-term sin issue mm-hmm. in leadership, what's going to inevitably happen is there's going to be a softening and redefining of certain aspects of Christian life that's going to filter down all the way from top to bottom. So one thing I found here was they liked my, oh, strong... 
pulpit presence in the candidating stage. But then when I started like hammering line on line, text on text, mm-hmm. laying out vision, church disciplining in the first good night, mm-hmm. first few months, all of a sudden I was the unloving pastor because the previous guy who was basically leading, uh, it, it turned into a licentious cesspool. And my goodness, when you when you have that, when you have right being said that's wrong and everything's okay, and there's a spirit of um, uh, fake unity built around a fake love, it, it is a cultural nightmare. Yeah. And uh, and I know in yours there were some different issues related to that, but both of us I think equally could say if a church is divided, if a church is declining, if a church is dysfunctioning, there's a reason why all that is happening. And, right. and and it's going it's going to affect the the fiber of the church itself, which is why I think a really interesting point to make is if you are thinking about a church revitalization project, do not think that you're going to come in and be the twelve month wonder of the world. Like you're going to mm-hmm. come in and solve this. I know, like when you came to our church, uh, you know, three months after I was here, there was a ton of excitement. The excitement right. is there. Well, that excitement fizzled out real fast. And if you're living on, if you want hype and energy and you want to accomplish something real quick and you want to see results that are, you're, this is the wrong business to be in because now in, I'm in year six. You experienced year six at Grace. I'm in year six here at, at, at River City, and we are actually experiencing everything that you described. Finances, mm-hmm. financial, the giving is healthy, the, the spirit of the church, the spiritual maturity, kind of like starting to actually catch traction and uh, the, all that is happening now. But you're, you know, I was naive in the, at the beginning thinking that that was going to happen faster than it did. So don't miss that statistic because that, that, that is true. Okay, here's a good question. What compelled you to want to be involved in a church revitalization? And, and what would we say, what would we say to somebody else who might be thinking about um, considering church revitalization? So that's, that's a, a great question because um, uh, lately I've been in first Thessalonians chapter two, where Paul is, is writing to the church and, uh, and he's actually dealing with some of, of this idea about uh, his leadership to the church and things. And one of the words he uses is uh, uh, the word uh, compel. Uh, and um, I kind of synchronize that with the word appeal in the sense that, you know, Paul, we, we all know of his Macedonian call to go and plant churches in that region and, and Ephesus, uh, Corinth, Thessalonica, and other churches. And um, he went to those churches and planted those churches, many of which down the road, like Corinth, would need revitalization. And, um, and he went there because the spirit of God led him. So, so I would say this, when it comes to uh, leading church revitalization, I never went to any church necessarily with the idea that, oh, I'm looking for a church to turn around. I'm looking for a turnaround opportunity. Hmm. It wasn't like that. It was, I went to a church that I felt God called me to and the, the current context or the current status of the church was a church that needed revitalization. And I, I would add to that, because I think this is very important, that eight out of 10 churches need revitalization. So if you 
accept a call to go to a church, you have an 80% chance of taking a church that is in fact in need of a church revitalization. So, um, and I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think when you went to, to Jacksonville, you probably knew some of the situation about the church, but, and you knew it would need work and stuff like that. But I mean, for me, pretty much every church I've went to uh, in my ministry, I've known there's quote unquote work that needs to be done. Yeah. I mean, and I think I want to address younger men that are listening to this because I run into this a lot with a, I keep using the word naive. I think it's a tremendous word to describe many young preachers. I think they have a naive look at what pastoring is going to be like outside of the statistics you just gave, which are staggering, which means if you're listening to me and you're not yet pastoring, when you do pastor, chances are you're not going to step into a thriving congregation. I mean, let's just think about it. Okay. So like, like I've, I've talked to young men about our church. Okay. Our church now that has a couple hundred, you know, members up from 50 members. And then, you know, you got uh, only 15 of the original members still here. So the church growth over the span of five years has been phenomenal. Upgraded buildings, updated name, location, all the things that we've done and seen here. A really, what would you would call a stable, healthy, thriving congregation. If I were to step aside today and I were to resign, I, I, I've, I've often said to these younger men, what, do you, what kind of pastor do you think these guys are going to try to get to replace me? Like they'd be talking to somebody like you, Tommy. I mean, not not the, not. I'm, I'm not leaving, and you're not leaving. But I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like if 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 if, if Ashburn needed a senior pastor now, who? What's that profile going to look like? If if River City Baptist Church needed a pastor right now, what's that profile? It's not going to be some you know dude that's 30 years old that's never pastored more than a pack of mice, you know, and and a guy who. The chances are, if you're in your 20s, 30s, even 40s, and you're going to take a church, it's going to be a rough. It's going to be a rough piece. I mean, I mean, uh, think about it. But outside of tragedy or immorality, when a large, thriving church needs a pastor, okay, it's probably been some succession plan that has been carefully led through by the pastor if he did it well. Or you've got, like I said, tragedy. Like I know there's a big SBC church in um, Longview, Texas right now. It's looking for a senior pastor. It's like 5,000 members. He died in a car accident. Well, they've, they've been 12 months now looking for a preacher. and But that makes sense, right? I mean, all of a sudden their 40-year-old, 50-year-old pastor dies in a car wreck and everybody's... Okay, or there's, of course, immorality. Pastor gets yanked out of the pulpit for sin. And there can be the scrambling. But still, what's the profile of that church? What are they looking for? It's a very, very different scenario and a very unusual situation. Right. Churches of two, three, four hundred, which are medium-sized churches, going into large churches, that they're rare, first of all. First of all, they're rare. Secondly, they're not often looking for a new pastor mm-hmm. <laughs> because those of us that are enjoying churches like this that are healthy and thriving aren't interested in going anywhere. Okay, right. then on, so the only other option is for you to get into a first time senior pastor or to move on to another church. Uh, you've got to face this reality. And I think, I think um, therefore, the nuts and bolts of church revitalization become a critical and important topic. It's not just an important, like, 
NAM conversation because they think it's important, right. although it is. It, it, this is a conversation that every Christian leader and pastor needs to have an awareness of because the chances are they are going to be uh, faced with it. So for me, I was interested in seeing something kind of revived or, or brought back to life. And um, I think there's, there's an element that Scripture, a desire for revival, a desire for um, seeing things brought back to life— is, is, is a compelling question. So I want to ask this question, then we're going to, we're going to break and we're going to come back next week and, uh, or next, uh, in, in, in a couple weeks and finish this conversation. But one more for today, because I think it fits well with what we were saying. What kind of, in light of what we just said, what kind of qualities of a pastor or leader would you think should be in play for the guy who's going to be leading church revitalization? Yeah, this is like one of my favorite uh, subjects here and the question you've asked specifically, um, because as as you were just saying, I think this is not only a list of essentials for uh, a pastor that's going to lead church revitalization. I think it's also critical for every pastor to have some of these qualities. Uh, and I'm not going to give a long list, but I, I, I have jotted down four uh, specific essential qualities I think are absolutely essential in the context of church revitalization. So first of all, um, and these, and by the way, these, these are not something I read. These are actually from born of experience. Um, uh, readiness would be the first word I would use. And, uh, what I mean by that is, so I read, uh, and, uh, I, one of the books I read, uh, actually before I came to Ashburn was a book by, uh, Dr. Aubrey Malfers called on being leaders. And it was such a timely book for me at that time as part of my MDiv process. And it was a book that basically is built around assessment. And it was a book built around assessing not only a pastoral readiness, but also church readiness. Uh, and so the front half of the book dealt with the pastor's spiritual gifting, uh, his natural gifting, and then those abilities that maybe he could work on uh, developing. And then the context of the church was the back half. So in other words, uh, a good match is not only the gifting of the pastor, but also the church context and whether he's what you would call a good fit for that context. But when I read that book, that book made me become so much more self-aware of my gifting and my abilities and at my time at Grace, it helped me to know when God ultimately led me to Ashburn to know that I was, in fact, qualified to be able to come into the context of Ashburn. And that has been huge for me to know that I had the, the readiness, the, the gifting, the, the ability to be able to come into this context. And if I had not been aware of that coming into this I can tell you for a fact, I never would have survived the first two years. And so readiness, and, and I would use First uh, Thessalonians 2, going back to that, to kind of give some theological pinning to this. Um, he says in verse 1, my coming to you was not in vain. Uh, how did he know that? He rested in his calling. So there has to be a conviction of calling, knowing what God has called me to do. You, for you, it was when you were open to the idea of coming to River City, you knew you wanted to revitalize. You God called you and was leading you into a context where you were going to be able to lead mm. revitalization. So pastoral readiness is absolutely critical. I've talked to a lot of guys. They like the idea of church revitalization, 
but they don't know if they're actually gifted for church revitalization. So a lot of the conversation is about them more than it is a church they're going into. Mm. And pastoral readiness is, in fact, really one of the first critical steps of the idea of going into a church revitalization. Are you gifted for that? Are you qualified? And so along with that readiness, I would use the second keyword would be resilience. Uh, In verse two, Paul writes to the church and he says, uh, he says, you know how we've already suffered, how we've been shamefully treated, and how we continue to declare the gospel in the midst of much conflict. And I love that that mm-hmm. verse because it it really it really uh, encompasses everything you factually will experience in church <laughs> revitalization. You will suffer, you will be shamefully treated, and you will experience much conflict. Mm. And so there has to be a resiliency. Uh, by pastors to be able to endure that. The only reason you are where you are now and in year six at River City experiencing that blossoming growth and all that is because you persevered, you endured that suffering of the first five years. So I always tell any guy that's interested in going to a church revitalization, or maybe they've already taken a church and they find themselves in a church where they're going to need revitalization, I always just keep, I tell them, keep it simple, just stay. Yeah. Whatever happens, whatever you go through, whatever you experience, no matter how much pain, no matter how much shame, no matter how you are suffering, you've got to stay. I yeah. mean, that's the key one. Did, if you don't I, stay. I guarantee you, I thought about I, I resigned <laughs> 10 times in my mind. I'm sure you did up there. I know with all the stuff you were dealing with, at least mentally. But you know what? You're exactly <clears> right. You know, just fighting through, man. Because you're good. Yeah. Look, if you're listening and you think – you're going to take a church, whether whether it's a most thriving, dynamic, whatever, and you don't think you're going to take it on the chin hard, yeah. like hard, facing yeah. the dirt a few times. I'm just here to tell you, if that's what you're looking for, go work at Disney World because everybody loves people at Disney World, okay? <laughs> don't work in pastoring because it's not going to happen. That's a great word. Yeah. Yeah. So readiness, resilience, also found here in verse 7 of this text is what I call just being gracious and kind. You're going to be attacked. You're going to suffer. You're going to experience a lot of conflict. But Paul said, "But but we we didn't respond. You know, we didn't we didn't come back at you and attack you and back." He said, "In fact, we were gentle among you." And so that's just this this whole passage is such a beautiful passage related to church revitalization. He said, "Like a nursing mother toward her children." So, you know, when when you're attacked, when you're going through all of this, you can't be a bully leader. Uh, because I've watched guys go into churches and they didn't even understand the context of church revitalization. They just went into pastor a church and they're like, well, bless God, I'll turn this thing around. And, you know, in 12 months, I'll have this place hopping. No, you'll, you'll be out because you'll <laughs> split the church, divide it, destroy it by being a bull. And I'm trying to, I've seen that so many times, Brian, and it's so, so, so sad. But um, so you can't do that. You can't tit for tat. You can't fight back. You just have to stay gracious, stay kind, love the people, even your haters and your enemies, you have to lead them all through that. Some will stay, some won't, and you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay, but you can't, whatever happens, you can't allow bitterness and anger to overcome you as you lead a church through. This is a stronghold. Chances are there's strongholds in the church that are going to have to be navigated, and you're never going to do that with an angry spirit. You've got to stay gentle. And then the final essential. There's a a long list, but the final essential I would give is the ability to cast vision and create strategy. 
And that's what you find in verse, verse eight of this passage. He said, we were ready to share with you, not only the gospel, but our own selves. And, and from that principle, I draw, he said, we were ready. In other words, he, he had a vision of a better church. He had a vision of what, what could be. And I think that's, that's one of the things that excites me most about these contacts that God has led me into is knowing that, Hey, where you are, this dysfunction, this division, this disrepair, kind of like uh, uh, Nehemiah, he surveyed the land in chapter two, but then at the close of chapter two, he went them and he said, you, you see, you know where things are. Uh, You've been, you've kind of accepted this as the norm. He said, but I want to encourage you to follow my leadership and let's rise up and build because I'm promising you there's a better way. There's a brighter tomorrow. And and because of his visionary leadership, the people said, let us rise up and build. Mm -hmm. And so that's a strong word for any pastor who's in the context of church revitalization, that as you lead, as you cast that vision, as you develop strategy to lead that church forward, that that is so critical to causing the congregation to respond and, and follow your leadership uh, into a brighter tomorrow and your ability to cast vision to lead them to renewed spiritual health and strength. And so that's a short list, but I think it's absolutely critical list. Uh, it's really good. I would recommend anybody listening, and, and we'll segue to the next uh, the next program, but um, North American Mission Board has a church uh, revitalization assessment tool. Our friend here in town, Jimbo Fisher, or Jim, not Jimbo Fisher, he's a football coach, Jimbo Stewart uh, here in, in Jacksonville, he works with the National North American Mission Board, and they have that. We've had a couple of our guys take it. Very revealing, very helpful. They ask a simple question, am I a replanter? And uh, they can help you with that. So, hey, man, that was a great conversation, Tommy. Thanks for joining us. And from Aaron, uh, on behalf of Aaron, I say goodbye to everybody, and God bless you. We'll see you next time.